The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed the House at 1.2 trillion US dollars. What are the takeaways for investors? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team at New York Life Investments. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of November 15th, 2021. Big news from Washington, D.C., Lauren. The Infrastructure and Jobs Act has passed the House last week and is on track to become law. That's right. The final vote in the House was 228 to 206. A little bit of a close one. And some of our listeners may recall our previous episode in August where we discussed this exact bill and the potential obstacles it was set to face. Now that it has passed both sections of Congress, we wanted to reiterate some of the key aspects of this bill, takeaways and investment implications. Before we get to that, let's just review why it took so long to get there, because that might be relevant for potential future spending. Yeah, it did take a while, didn't it? To start the year, we I remember we focused so much on this infrastructure spending that was in the pipeline, and we were excited about a whole slew of policies that could potentially build resiliency and enhance productivity in the U.S. economy. But such a big wish list of policies we should have known better was bound to face some roadblocks. The House saw an opportunity to potentially leverage broad support to push forward a wider list of policies and other bill. And that's why we hear about these two bills, one, the physical infrastructure and one, the human infrastructure side. Right. And for better or worse, we've been describing them all along as two potential bills. And that ended up being the way that Congress approached considering them. So after attempts to delay the physical infrastructure bill, the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act that we've been discussing, House leaders ultimately abandoned the approach that you were describing, Robert, as uh, reconciliation discussions became increasingly complex over several issues, the major one being an absence of an official estimate for the larger reconciliation bill spending and revenue effects, which is more or less the point of the reconciliation process. So now that we've sort of gone through those policymaking sausage logistics, let's review the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act in its own merit. Go ahead, Robert. Yes. And this is a singular long-awaited bill that includes so many of the first half of the Biden administration's Build Back Better Plan aspects. It secures a significant amount of spending, $1.2 trillion, as you said at the start of the program, in funding over five years with $550 billion in new spending to rebuild the physical infrastructure in America. That is a big price tag for sure. And the spending that you've described focuses on traditional infrastructure. And the largest area of spending is in transportation and in water, broadband, power, lots of updating and upgrading and re- reconnecting outdated infrastructure across the country. Yeah, that digital infrastructure really needs to be upgraded. Also worth noting, there's 
50 billion set aside to fight climate change, another topic we've touched on in this pod. The investment goes into resilience funding to build infrastructure to protect against droughts, floods, and other extreme weather events that we've been hearing more and more about recently. I mean, as usual with these government spending bills, it all sounds like a great idea. It sounds like things that we need and that would make a lot of sense, but the sort of elephant in the room is how do we pay for such a large investment? Congress can be pretty creative when they want to be, and they've come up with several methods to generate some revenue for part of this bill. Tax reporting for digital assets, cryptocurrencies, as we've talked about, Medicare extensions and savings, and pension smoothing, among other methods that will provide some revenue to fund the plan. Okay, so in the in sort of the mood of Congress being creative, another thing that is interesting about the approach that Congress has taken to pass this physical infrastructure bill is that because they didn't use the reconciliation process, which you pointed out earlier, Robert, they can essentially save that reconciliation process for the human infrastructure aspect of Biden's build back better agenda. And so that's something that uh, we might see coming down the pike here in the next couple of weeks in Congress. No matter what happens with that human infrastructure bill, we do expect that even these investments in physical infrastructure potentially create avenues for productivity growth and long-term growth. And so from a just headline macroeconomic perspective, they're, they're generally positive. Now it's time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And today we'll discuss the relevant takeaways for investors with respect to this infrastructure update. The two most common questions we get, Robert, are market-based and then portfolio-based. How do the policies impact market opportunities and how can I implement those opportunities, really action them in a portfolio? Those are the questions. And let's start with the markets. Some construction-related names have already seen gains in recent weeks. So these companies are expecting maybe increased demand for their products and services. But companies associated with broadband access, public transit, electric vehicle charging, you know, they still may have room left to reflect these policy changes and potentially the crowding in effect that might come from additional government spending. Yeah. And what you mean by crowding in there is the idea that if the government is signaling, hey, this is an area of important investment, it can cause private companies and individual homeowners, things like that, to react as well, to invest in their own capital into these trends as those trends become more clear. Now, so far, the market has reacted fairly positively to news of this bipartisan package passing. Importantly, we view infrastructure as a durable investment theme. Even without government support, the asset class is supported by contracted cash flows, which tend to be resilient to inflation. So you're hearing a lot of potentially tailwinds for this asset class. That said, I don't want to say that government spending isn't important. It is important, not only for the crowding in impacts that Robert mentioned, but also because that spending supports long-term durable themes related to infrastructure like decarbonization and digital transformation. Yeah. And so obviously there is a positive outlook for this asset class. So the next question is, how do you invest in it? How do you incorporate it in your portfolio? And it's important to note that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to incorporating any investment into a portfolio, but particularly a theme like infrastructure investing. Instead, it should probably be informed by two factors. 
first the client, their goals, time horizons, risk tolerance, values, and subjective investment theses that we talked about so much on this program. And two, the nature of the theme itself. So is it a really volatile theme? Is it diversified? How is it constructed? One simple way to implement and think about all of this is just to think about it as a satellite position. And you could fund it from the total portfolio, so your stock bond mix, and keeping risk in check. That position for infrastructure could be anywhere from 5% to 10% broader, depending on the broader strategic goals in that portfolio, so the investor's risk tolerance. I love what you're saying there, Robert, because it's a really tangible way to think about how to implement these themes, infrastructure, or really any theme in a portfolio which is really helpful. Another area where specifically infrastructure can impact a portfolio or how investors can implement it is to think about municipal bonds because municipal services and investments are where the rubber really hits the road with respect to infrastructure. So if you think about financing of projects like roads and bridges and schools and hospitals and energy efficiency for new buildings, that type of thing is often funded through these municipal structures. And so municipal bonds may present themselves as an appropriate way to harness this trend, again, depending on your broader portfolio goals. Mm. Another way to capture infrastructure is to make it a little bit more specific. Significant portion of the bill that's passed invests in climate change, as we've talked about, and that's a potential mega trend. And so there's renewable energy infrastructure there. Companies and investors are increasingly focused on climate resiliency, which will likely result in a renewed focus on asset modernization, as Lauren so well said earlier in the program. And so perhaps you can use ESG-oriented investments or renewable energy themes to get exposure to the asset class. Coming up next, Congress is expected to start voting on the reconciliation bill for the human infrastructure aspect of Biden's Build Back Better plan. And as a result, we'll continue to monitor updates regarding this bill, as well as Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that we discussed today. And we'll also get our monthly insight into retail sales data, how much and where consumers have been spending in the economy. And we're particularly looking to see whether spending is, again, shifting from more goods, sort of pandemic-focused spending patterns to more post-pandemic or services spending patterns. But that's it for today. We'll be back in two weeks after the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday with more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and click on the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. 
It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.